But Lord, nevertheless, this is a day where there's specific reflection on the very fact that you were willing to give us your best, your own dear son. And not only that, but Jesus, you were willing to come. It was your will to come and to go to that manger with a specific purpose that had each one of us that are here in this room in your mind. And for that, Lord, we live with a gratitude, not just here and now, Lord, but forever, that we will sing your praises forever for what you did by your coming to this world and dying on a cross for our salvation. We bless you today, Lord, and as we look at the rea- some of the realities of what Christmas is all about, Lord, it's been a crazy week, maybe a crazy month for many of us, but it's time for us to settle our heart before your throne and to be like Mary who chooses to sit at your feet and to continue to hear your word. So I pray even now, Lord, that our hearts wouldn't be opened up to what I have to say, Lord, but what you have to say. We bless you, Lord, and we ask for your touch in each one of our lives that you would meet us where we're at to take us where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, I don't even know where to tell you to turn because we're going to be all over the place today, but you might as well stick your finger in Isaiah chapter 9. You know, I've taught the Christmas story, I, I don't know, man, it's got to be around 30 times now. And, and I love it, and I hope some of the stuff I share today isn't repetitious, but, but it probably will be. Uh, nevertheless, though, the scriptures that we read are good to hear over and over and over because of what they do in our lives. Even Peter himself said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to forget to put you in remembrance of these things even though you know them. So many of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today are very familiar with us, but nevertheless, that doesn't matter. What matters is that these things are true, and they've changed our lives because of the grace of God. Uh, Paul the Apostle, you know, this scripture kept coming up this time of the year. Uh, Paul the Apostle makes this declaration in 2 Corinthians 9. You don't have to go there. But I want to tell you what he said. He said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift reference in Jesus Christ. And that word unspeakable is also indescribable. And in the, in the Greek, it literally means that I, and this is Paul, one of the most brilliant men that ever walked this earth. They say top five, all right, top five of men ever walked this earth in brilliance was Paul the Apostle, Paul the, the Impossible, Paul the Apostle. But, but what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, who he is and the gift that he's been in my life, I'm incapable of adequately expressing him because he's inexpressible. That's what Paul the Apostle said. That's the individual whose proclamation in heart attitude was forged on the Damascus Road when it was an amazing amount of unconditional love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness that was poured out on his life regardless of what he had done in the past against Jesus and his church. And it carried him all the way to see Nero's dungeon where he would end up being decapitated because of his faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in between there, when the reality of Christ came into his life, he lived his life with this gratitude that was inexpressible. 
inexpressible. A man who would write to us, other writers would write to us that in Christ, there's a joy that's unspeakable. There's a peace that passes our understanding and there's a love that transcends human knowledge. This is who we find in Jesus. Now, I can't tell you that I walk every day with a joy inexpressible or a peace that passes understanding or a love that I can't comprehend, but I've had experiences with those things. And I'm telling you, there's something in Jesus we haven't even tapped into, but our whole future in eternity is going to be experiencing the greatest things that are inexpressible on this side of eternity. And I had you turn to Isaiah 9. As I'm going to turn there, and you're going to be very patient as I do. But Isaiah 9 is a very familiar verse. You've gotten Christmas cards this week with this verse tattooed on the front of it. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. One of the things that I think that we need to look at is the Christmas story of Jesus Christ is a reminder to you and I that our God is a God of prophecy. And being a God of prophecy means that our God fulfills his promises. We serve a promise-keeping God. That's what we serve. We serve a a promise-keeping God. Uh, He's given you and I promises individually. He's given us promises as a congregation. But one of the things that we need to realize is the people of God, we haven't just been called to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we've been called to trust Jesus Christ beyond that decision and continue to trust him day by day, even moment by moment, all of our lives, that what he tells us is true. And we can hold on to these things. The, I, I did some studying this week, and one of the things that you and I have to be reminded of is that in our Bible, it's not just a Bible, but this is a promise book. All right? And I've read that there, as far as people who have studied the promises of the Bible, there's somewhere between 3,700 and 8,700 promises in the Bible, depending on which individual you want to go with. But nevertheless, what that tells me is that the Bible is laced with promises for each one of us. And I'm telling you, the promises of God are the things that give us hope that help us through this crazy thing that we call life. This is what we need to remember, that unto us a child is born and a son is given. Written 700 years before the Christmas story when Mary the Virgin would give birth to Jesus. No room in the inn, so he's placed in a straw-lined cattle trough and he came to pass. It was 700 years after this promise was given. We can count on this, that the promises that God has spoken into our life, we can hold on to because of who gave it to us. We serve a God that cannot lie, and he's a God that's faithful in our lives. So the bottom line is, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking this, well, I really don't have any promises. I can tell you why. It's because you're not reading your Bible, or it's because you're not taking in your Bible. 
We should be tearing the leather binding off these things because the Word of God is what gives you and I life, and the Word of God is where we get our hopes, and it's where we get to hold on to the promises that will be the anchor for the storms that each one of us sail through in this thing that we call life. So as we look at this, I want to encourage you for your drive time, your me time, maybe your lunch time or your alone time, redeem the time. Get into the living book and grab yourself some eternal promises because they're going to be the things that hold you through these. Some of the prophetic promises of Jesus we see right here. The child being born, the son being given. Not only that, mighty God, Emmanuel, God in human flesh. He'd be born to a virgin, we're told in Isaiah chapter 7. We're told in Genesis chapter uh, 12 to Abraham that, that through him that, that all the families of the earth would be blessed, that God would bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him, referencing really the, the, the beginning of the nation of Israel, but that all nations of the family or all families of the nations shall be blessed. And guess what? We get to sit here blessed because we got a Jewish Messiah that came to this world and died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So that's what we get to rejoice in. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Because God said it would happen. And because God said it happened, it did happen. And you and I are living in this special time where faith should be developed and there should be no reason why faith shouldn't be developing in our lives because we're at a point now where we're living between promises and prophecies that have been fulfilled and promises and prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. So what does that give us? That gives us a mindset that looks back with appreciation and a mindset that looks forward with anticipation. And we see it all in this wonderful book we call the Bible, and we're reminded of it all at this wonderful time of year when we think about the Christmas account, the birth of Christ coming to this world. You know, <clears throat> I look at Isaiah 9, and, and it's almost like you got to unpack it. You know, there's so many things referenced about who Jesus is. It's almost like you got to unpack it, and, and it kind of brought me back to a memory I had as a kid. You know, Christmas really brings back a lot of memories, for some of us, good memories. For some of us, bad memories, you know, painful memories. I've come to understand that Christmas time of the year can be very hard on a lot of people's hearts for various reasons. But when I grew up, I really had a blessed life. I really did. My, I, I went to church. You know, I did the whole religious, ritual, traditional thing, the Christmas Eve services, the candle services, all that stuff. My poor mom dragged us to church. Um, but, but when I grew up, my parents were very good to me. And, and I remember that, that every year, it seemed like, under the Christmas tree, me and my brother were both given a big gift. You know, there was this big gift. And, and faithfully, every year, I would know what was in it after the first year, that it was one of those gifts where you open up that gift, and within that gift were several other gifts. And when I look at Isaiah chapter 9, that's kind of what I see here. That in the person of Jesus Christ, there's so many gifts in our life. And, and Isaiah seems to list off a few here that are so important. But the bottom line is, it's all centered on the person in the work of Jesus Christ, the anointed and awaited deliverer. We look at the context of this, okay? The context is written to the Jewish people. But we need to remember that the Gentile church, according to Paul in, Rome, in the book of Romans, is that we've been grafted in to all of these promises. Like I already told you in Genesis 12, verse 3, and in thee, 
Okay, so what's going to happen through thee, Abraham, will come this Messiah, and in thee, because of that Messiah, shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's why we love Israel, and that's why we pray for Israel. But this child that was born and this son that was given, his ministry of three years was more than just teaching kingdom principles. He did a lot of teaching. We learned a lot, and we still learn a lot through the parables of Jesus, through the truths of Jesus Christ. But he just didn't teach kingdom principles. He displayed the heart of God in the way that he exercised compassion over the multitude, in the way that he extended forgiveness, in the way that he offered new life, his willingness to go to the uttermost and the guttermost because he recognized what a life was without him and without his redemption. The child that is born, a child being born speaks of his humanity. What I love about Jesus, Hebrews chapter 4 says that, you know what, as we sit here today, probably every one of us are going through something to some degree. And Jesus came to this world to tell you and to tell me that he understands. He understands betrayal. He understands rejection. He understands pain. He understands disappointment. He understands hurt. And all the other various things that go along with some of the trials of our life. He understands our own struggle with ourselves. He understands all those things. And that's one of the reasons that he took on humanity. But it also says that he is the son that was given which speaks of his deity. Okay, this is God's son. So what does that mean? That means being a son is that he had a prior existing relationship. A prior existing relationship. I had a rough week a couple weeks ago. And one of the reasons I wasn't here was because my daughter got married. And when we're getting ready for the wedding and everything that, you know, you know, you, you do that daddy da- that yeah, that daddy daughter dance, right? And, and <laughs> my daughter had she wanted me and her to do the Napoleon dance. I can't dance, first of all. And that thing was a really tough dance to do. So so it's like, well you gotta do a dance. We gotta find a song. What songs are are, are you gonna pick for this dance. You know, I'm like, well, I ain't doing that butterfly kisses one. No way, man. I, I, that one's terrible, man. That's a tearjerker. Even if you don't have a daughter. But the song I ended up picking out, I don't even know if I've ever heard it before. I'm Googling it while I'm on a treadmill and uh, crying like a baby. But the name of the song was I Loved Her First. You know, before I gave her away to be another man's wife, is I, there was a prior existing relationship that her and I had before he got this relationship with her. And I look at that, and even the pain of that, of what it must have been like for the father to a degree to give his son and to allow his son to come into this world. You know, I think about Jesus. Remember years ago, I got the opportunity to go teach at a pastor's conference in Cuba. Not Cuba, New York. Cuba the island. And and it was awesome, except we started off with a hitch because we get to LaGuardia and we sat there on the runway way too long and our connecting flight to Tampa Bay took off without us. 
So I go to Delta or whatever airline it was, and I see this young kid working there. I'm like, hey, we've been out there, and they didn't get us in here in time. And my plane, I'm supposed to connect with this mission group, and we're heading to Cuba, and, and we're going to miss it. He goes, I'll do whatever I can. I said, you will get me first-class tickets. So he goes, well, let me talk to my manager. So he comes back, and he got me and the guy that I was with first-class tickets. You know what we got? We got the upgrade. And I'm thinking about Jesus, right? And, and, and Jesus' willingness to leave the glory of heaven and to come down here, he didn't get no upgrade, he got a downgrade. And not downgrading the person of who he was or the character that he has, but the environment that he was going in. I mean, first class was so nice. I would tell the stewardess, hey, do me a favor. Close that curtain so I don't have to look at those peasants back there. I mean, that's, that's good living up front there. But, but, you know, but Jesus took the exact opposite. You know, he, he took the downgrade. And he really, he came to a world that was under a curse. And he saw people suffering and hurt. Not that he didn't know all these things before, but he entered in to, to, to really go through all those things with us and to identify to a degree that you and I would never ever question him. We can't say to Jesus, you don't understand, because he does. And he's been through more than all of us. And the reason he went by, went through all of that for us, because he was willing to, because of the value that you and I hold to him. And I'll never get over that because I know what I deal with with myself as a person. And to see that God holds me in such value that he'd be willing to do that with his own son. The Bible tells us this, right? A son is given. That's a gift. Jesus Christ is the gift of the Father to humanity. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with who there's no change. Okay, we have an unchangeable God. Same yesterday, today, and forever. But good gifts. I've had a lot of good gifts in my life. My kids over the years have given me good gifts. You know, my wife has given me good gifts. My parents have given me good gifts. You guys have given me good gifts. In your friendships, your relationships, whatever it might be. But I would never devalue Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is not a good gift. He's a perfect gift. And he's perfect in his love. He's perfect in his truth. He's perfect in his ability to save. He's perfect to display the very person of God the Father. And he's perfect in his understanding. And God gave him to you and I so that we would all have all that. But so much more that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So the gift of God was a revelation of God's love to make the provision for you and I to have forever with him and to be free and forgiven of all of our sins. You know, when I think about that, and I think about Romans 5, that, that, that God demonstrated, showed his love for us, and while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the fact that Jesus came into that manger to go to that cross, to come out of an empty tomb, to ascend back up into glory is a reminder to you and I that we can never doubt the love of God because the love of God is not defined today by your financial situation, your relational situation, or your health situation. It's defined today by the very fact that the Son of God was sacrificed on a cross so God could say, I want you to know, I love you. I love you. This is the proof. And that's the place where we always go to when the devil tries to rip us off and make us think that we're not loved. We go to the cross of Jesus Christ because that's the place where we're reminded of the love of God. And to understand its fullness... 
is to embrace the giver with our love. I was just sharing with my son Joe the other day. I'm like, I remember Christmas a few years ago when I bought your first shotgun. And he opened it up, and he was so ex- excited about the gift that he dropped the gift, and he came over to give me a hug. You know, he, he, he gave his love to the one who actually gave him that gift. So we see here that it says that the child is born, and the son is given, and the government shall be. Okay, shall be, that's future tense, all right? And, and we know today, if you look at Washington, D.C., that the government is not on Jesus' shoulders right now. We see he's not running our country right now, okay? And I got good news to you. He's not just going to run this country someday, he's going to run the whole world. That's what we got to look forward to. So this prophecy that was 700 years in the future of the son given, it also speaks about a rule, this son coming to rule. And, and as much as that, the coming of Christ was 700 years and kind of the, the future that's a little bit more near, it's also speaking about the farther future out when Christ comes back the second time. So 700 years from that is when he came, but the far fulfillment of this prophecy is 2,700 years plus when he comes again. Now, the coming of Jesus to this earth has two parts. Okay, we celebrate Christmas. We recognize that that's the incarnation. That's when God himself stepped into humanity, took on human form in a virgin's womb. And he was born for 30 years. We don't hear much about him except when he stuck behind and, and he was busy about his father's business or he was in his father's house. Mary and Joseph lost sight of him. But, but he shows up on the scene and he has a three-year ministry. And Mary, now you got to think about Mary. She was given this amazing news, right? That she was the one handpicked because the favor of God was on her life that she was going to bring forth the Messiah, okay? Now, she probably didn't have full comprehension of all this entailed. But what she was told what it, was that she was going to bring forth this son, it was going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his name's going to be Jesus. But she was also told this, that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. So she was giving this truth to hold on to that, that he is going to be that ruler that will bring peace that all Israel was looking for. But as she goes into the temple and they go to dedicate Jesus and they run into Simeon, she's also told that a sword's going to pierce her soul. Because the prophet, the, the reality of she got, the reality that she got of her son coming, but she also got a prophecy in the future when her son came again. And she had to be given an anchor to hold on to in her life at that moment when she was going to go through her own excruciating pain. And what I mean by that, it was more than the false accusations that she received. It was more than her social humiliation It was even more than the false accusations of her son. But if you're a parent, you know when your kids suffer, you suffer deeper than when you suffer yourself. And she 
would watch her son suffer on the cross. And she lost her son for three days. We were at the hospital the other day. Seems to be my theme in life, 2022. And I, there was a nurse there, and she was wonderful. And I was looking for a door to witness to her, but she did most of the talking. And on the way out the door, when the anesthesiologist came in, I told her I have Merry Christmas. She goes, I'm going to try to, but I've lost, I think she said, her father, her son, and a close friend all this year. And I think about Mary, and I think about this, because this is the reality. I'll get a little raw with you. Life will throw hell at you. You got to hold on to what heaven's told you. This is a war zone down here. I've said it before, you know, it's not Hallmark and it's not necessarily here on earth happily ever after. There it will be. But life's going to throw hell at you. And in those times, you've got to hold on to what heaven's told you. I don't believe for a moment when an angel shows up probably in Mary's bedroom or wherever she was and said, he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. I don't think she forgot that. Neither should we forget the things that God has told us. He doesn't have to use an angel to speak because he speaks through his son, the living word. That's why we have Genesis to Revelation. So that you got you and I have things that we can hold on to. It says here that He's going to be called wonderful. In both comings, this is who Jesus remains to be. This is who he is at his first coming and his second coming. I believe these truths about his nature play a major role at both parts. And we're benefactors of it if we receive these aspects of who he is into our life. Wonderful. I heard a story this week about a guy on a train, and he's looking out the window, and he's seeing the mountains. And he's saying, oh, that's wonderful. And he's seeing the green grass, and he's talking about how wonderful it is. And he sees the blue skies, and he's like, oh, it's so wonderful. So another individual came alongside him and, and, and said, I don't understand. You, you're like attaching wonderful to everything that you see. Why is that? He goes, well, I haven't been able to see in years, and I just had an operation, so I get to see everything again. And it's so wonderful. For the first 24 years of my life, I couldn't really see. But for the last... Well, I'm not going to do the math, but for the last years, I can tell you Jesus is wonderful. When he took cancer out of my wife at 20 years old, that was wonderful. When me and another pastor anointed a, a pregnant lady with oil because her, the child inside of her had no arms or legs, and then 16 years later to watch my son play against him in baseball as he played for Letchworth with arms and legs. Jesus is wonderful. 
when I watched my boss, when I worked in a union at Lord and Taylor at Eastview Mall, turn from Howard Stern to Greg Laurie overnight and give his heart to Jesus Christ. That was wonderful. When I watched what so many of you have endured through the difficulties and the trials of your life and your stay in the course with Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. For the last year, what I have watched, what they have done for my son's eye, I declare that Jesus Christ is wonderful. I've watched him restore marriages because he's wonderful. I've watched him transform lives because he's absolutely wonderful. I've watched him bring prodigals home because he's wonderful. There's a lot of things in life that are wonderful, but nothing is more wonderful than Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Counselor. If you've got wonderful counselor, that's not the original Greek, although he is a wonderful counselor, but there's a comma there that's two different things. Counselor. Why do people seek counsel? Because they need help. Because they need healing. Because they want freedom. They need direction. Sometimes even correction. Why? Because this life that we live will throw you trauma. And in that trauma will come many questions. And we need answers. We want answers. We want help. Even today, as we open up the Bible, it's a counseling session. Because God counsels us. His word, according to Romans chapter 12, not being conformed to the world, the way we used to be, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's designed to reroute our natural thought patterns and to give us the thought patterns like God himself has so that we can have the mind of Christ. God's, God in his faithfulness to us will tell us what he wants us to know to build us up, but he'll also tell us what we need to hear. Because he's so faithful that he wants to correct life when life gets off. He also wants to extract anything from our lives that could be spiritually toxic. The Bible tells us that God's counsels of old are faithfulness and true. The truth that God gives us through the counsel of his life sets us free. We get to be a people of liberty. The truth that we get out of the counsel of God's word, he says, I've sent my word and I healed them. He gets to touch the deep places of your soul that nobody else can touch. No counselor, no spouse, no friend. It's what Jesus can touch. He wants to drive us, or not drive us, but really lead us, encourage us in the path of blessing by not, not taking on godly counsel. Anything that would be in our natural thought patterns that would go contrary to the word of God, anything that somebody else might try to sow into your life that goes contrary to the word of God, because we're blessed, the Bible tells us in Psalm 1, when we don't walk in ungodly counsel. 
but we walk in God's counsel. He's so faithful that when you watch him throughout the Bibles, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know, in the New Testament, they could walk by sight, but we now, we walk by faith and not by sight, and we see throughout the Bible that Jesus comes and he gives all these independent counseling sessions. We just broke one a few weeks ago before I went on a two-week, whatever you want to call it. I was gone for two weeks. Jesus and the woman at the well. Just him and her. How about Jesus and a woman caught in adultery? Just him and her speaking life and direction into her life. How about Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house? How about the encounter that he had with Legion on the beach? Or that late night discussion he had with the religious leader of the day named Nicodemus, who had religion but was still empty because he didn't have a relationship with Christ. He hadn't been born again. That's the kind of counselor we have. He's always available and he doesn't charge you exuberant rates. He doesn't charge you anything. He bids us to come. We're told here that he's the mighty God, El Gabor. The mighty God, Al Gabor, this little baby laying in a straw-lined feed trough was the very one that said, let there be light. The very one that said, let us make man in our image. The very one where Nebuchadnezzar would say, I thought we threw three three in and, and there's four in there and the other one looks like the Son of God. That's the one who came out of eternity, exited that sphere to enter our sphere to accomplish a work that needed to be done for us to spend forever forgiven in the kingdom of God. We need to remember we serve a mighty God. And you know what? The devil steals that truth from us. And we start to cower down with our fears and our doubts and our unbeliefs. But Jesus Christ is a mighty God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still heals the sick. He could still raise the dead. He still causes the blind to see. And he still has the ability to cast out demons. He's also mighty to save. You and I sitting here today, saved, forgiven, and loved eternally is a reminder that we serve a mighty God. It says here that he's the everlasting father. His unending presence, God himself, God the father saw what that choice in the garden did to the future family units of humanity. One of the signs of the end days is that there would be an absence of natural affection. And what that means is we head towards the closer we are to the return of Jesus Christ, that there would really be a disintegrating of family love. But he stopped in because he's an everlasting father. 
to fill a role that has been vacated in so many people's lives and to be a father to the fatherless. He's a father that steps in in all of our lives with love. He's a father that steps in with provision, protection, guidance, and the best leadership. That's who our everlasting father is. So you and I can conclude this. I have someone looking over me. I have someone watching out for me. I have someone taking care of me. I have someone who values me. And I have someone who's always there for me. That's what we have in our Father. Psalm 103.13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Literally, is tender and compassionate towards them. The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it, establish justice and judgment from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Where Jesus is allowed to rule, peace is established. So you got to look within your hearts because if he is permitted to rule there, he will bring his peace with him. If you will, go to Colossians chapter 1 with me for a moment. So talking about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, and here's the bottom line, okay? God wants to grace us with peace. I mean, the people of God should be a people of peace. Isaiah tells us that he will keep us in perfect peace when our mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. Okay, it's not just saving faith, but it's a saving faith that's an activated faith. It's not just the hearing of the word, but it's the doing of the word also. So it's not just about knowing the Bible, but it's about trusting the author who wrote it. And in Colossians chapter 1, look what it says in verse 21. In you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, I was that. The Jesus jokes, the blasphemies, the taking the Lord's name in vain, the mocking of other believers. The mocking of the church, you name it. He says, now hath he reconciled. That word reconcile literally means that, that he has exchanged hostility. Okay? We're on the enemy side. He's exchanged hostility for fellowship. Okay, that's what God does. He comes and reconciles. In about how? In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and unreprovable in his sight. Through the body of his flesh through death. The mission of the Christmas story. To go to a cross. So, so God wants us to have the peace with God. And then the Prince of Peace gives us the peace of God. Listen to what Jesus said. These things have I spoken unto you. Think about the things God has spoken to you. Think about the things that you have heard. Think about the things that you have read. These things have I spoken to you that in you, me, you might have peace. Jesus is saying that in me, you might have peace because in the world, you're going to have troubles. Tribulation, man. It's going to be hard out there. 
It's not like he sent us into the world blind. He's saying, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It literally means keep having peace in me from the things that you've heard me speak to you. That's where our peace is maintained. That's where the believer's peace is maintained. So we look at the peace with God, we look at the peace of God, and eventually there's going to be the peace of the global rule of God. Okay, we pray all the time, right? I mean, every, I, mean I knew this before, way before I was saved. Just growing up as a church kid, you know, our Father aren't in heaven, all that, you know. They call it the Lord's Prayer, really, it's the disciples' prayer, you know, and it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nah, that's not the one I wanted. Anyhow. Thy kingdom come. That's what I wanted. Thy kingdom come. That's what we pray for, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, being able to recite that for years before I became a, a true believer, I never even knew what it was about. But it's talking about a global time of peace that we call the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ where the devil is actually incarcerated in the abyss by an angel. Doesn't even name the angel, just some angel, any angel. Go throw that fallen angel into the pit, incarcerated, sealed, can't get out. Isaiah tells us that he's going to beat swords into plow. We're going to beat our swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war anymore. That's a good day coming. The bow and the sword of battle will I shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. So we see here it's a time when war will be no more. Those tools will all become agricultural equipment. And turn to Second Peter chapter 3. This is where we're going to close out today. I know you got to get home and open up all your presents. Second Peter 3. In reference to the day when the government will be upon his shoulders, he will have the rule, he will have the say, justice, judgment right. No more bought-off judges, no more corrupt politicians, no more globalists with their agenda. They will all bow, and their tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Second Peter 3, verse 12. We look for we're hastening under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise. What do we know about God and his promises? He keeps them. What do we know about the promise keeper? He cannot lie. So there's no way that the truths of this Bible cannot come to pass because they be contrary to the nature of God, which does not, cannot, and will not happen. According to his promise, we look for a new heaven and a new earth 
wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what we have to look forward to. In church, here's our challenge. What we're looking for will determine what we're living for. We've got to ask ourselves truly what we're looking for. What we're looking for will determine what we're living for. Peter, in his final word recorded, what do we find him doing here? Holding on to God's promise. Not letting go of the promise. Remember, he's not walking on some beach, man. He's dodging persecution. Eventually, by the prophetic word that Jesus gave him in John 21, he's actually going to lay down his life as a martyr. That's what lies ahead. You know, this week, I mean, this storm stunk, man. I did not like it at all. I got like four space heaters going at my house. I had a kerosene salamander going in my basement, coal stoves docked up. Man, my house does not do good with the wind. And I'm telling you, that wind came. Those little temps, they hung in there. And this week's unenjoyable temperatures, storm, and weather had me look towards next week's weather. (laughs) And I looked towards the future forecast, and we're heading back to the 50s. I'm really happy about that. But where we're at today, it might be stormy. It might not be what you want to be experiencing. Chances are there's people in here with health trials, relational trials, financial trials, hurt and heart, trials of just dealing with yourself. Our personal future forecast in Christ is God himself will wipe away your tears. Death, sorrow, crying, pain, no more. Extinct. Will become not even brought to our remembrance. He will make all things new. We have a lot to look forward to because unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. I praise God for his indescribable gift. Two things so symbolic this time of year. Gift and a tree. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins on the body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes we've been healed. I pray this Christmas that we would praise God for his indescribable gift. That we would realize that who we have in Jesus Christ transcends our ability to understand its greatness and to know that he's the gift that keeps on giving. And there's so much to be found in him because though he's a son, he's not just a son. Though he's a child, he's not just a child. Though he's a counselor, he's not just a counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's our prince of peace and he's so much more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for just being able to reflect on your nature, on your work, 
on all that you are, on all that you've done, on all that you will do. I ask your blessing, Lord, over the lives that are, that are here today, Lord, that they've journeyed out through this weather, Lord, for the people who maybe are online watching today, God, that, that there would be something that we looked at from your promise book that would do something medicinal in our hearts, that would cause faith to grow in our lives. We thank you, Lord, because we're reminded this time of the year, the very purpose was to display your goodness and your love. And I pray, Father, their comprehension of the depth of it would grow with each coming day, week, month, and year. Lord, next year at this time, we could be face to face with the son that was given and the child that was born. We thank you for the opportunities. I ask your anointing, Lord, that there be a Holy Ghost anointing over the men and the women that are in this church here today, Lord, who maybe will be amongst unsaved family members that they've been praying for. You're God that opens doors that no man can close. I pray you'd open up the doors of the heart and that you give wisdom and anointing to the tongues. And that you do a dynamic work, Lord, within families. We bless you for who you are and your willingness to come. In Jesus' name, amen.